Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear, and uh, about a week away, a little less than a week away from Thanksgiving vacation, and that is a huge um, kind of a benchmark milestone moment in the deer season. So many people take vacation and uh, enjoy that holiday season at deer camp. A lot of that's because rifle seasons are really getting going, but... um, it's a cool time of the year, and if you're in need of some some gear, if you've been looking at Scree, if you get your order in, most of the time, everything is going to show up in two to three days in and around Louisiana, so you can get it in time for your hunt next week for Thanksgiving vacation. And with the cooler temperatures we've been having, it kind of reminded me um, <clears throat> this morning I was hunting, and I uh, the last couple hunts I've made with this cooler weather, I've really uh, just been using the ptarmigan series and and if you're not familiar the ptarmigan series is the goose down stuff and that really started with the ptarmigan jacket that you've, you've heard us talk about on this podcast a lot of times it's 850 grams of of real goose down and um it's a really super lightweight rolls up small little stuff sack but they also make a pant that zips all the way up to the to the hip and um you take those two little stuff sacks stick them in your bag and you can go in really lightweight slip those two pieces on in the stand and honestly if you got decent base layers and uh some decent clothes underneath i don't know that you need much else as far as what our climate and uh uh what the weather has to to offer us here in louisiana 
It is great stuff, and that is a great deal. I was talking to someone today, and they were asking me about, you know, my recommendation, and and um, you're talking about how they were constantly sweating and getting hot going in the stand and then freezing when they got there. And you know, I I said you need to be wearing merino merino base layers, even the lightweight merino base layers, up against your skin to help with that moisture management. And I suggested the ptarmigan because the ptarmigan pants and jacket you. Like I said, it's so small, lightweight, stuff it in your pack, and then kind of get dressed when you get to the stand. And I just think it's a, a fantastic system. I think that, that you should really check it out for for what we have in the, here in Louisiana and all in the south. It's a great system. Um, and don't forget, there's going to be big Black Friday savings, November the 23rd through the 30th, up to 65% off site-wide. Free shipping, scree credit of 5% of your total spend, um, orders of $500 receive a free pair of merino socks and a, a merino net gator. Orders of 1000 or more uh, receive Velocity merino gloves, uh, merino balaclava, and their timber hitch, hitch belt. So that's Black Friday deals with Scree. Tell you all the time. Follow them on social media, YouTube. Find out more about the gear and shop online at ScreeGear.com. So here we are, middle of November. Levi's with me. What's up, Levi? Kanichiwa. Ah, there you go. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> Kanichiwa? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Levi has yeah, the. I don't, answer Spanish. I don't think that Kanichiwa is not Spanish, is it? <laughs> no. Oh, Mark. I thought you said Spanish. It is Japanese. Um. Oh. Kanichiwa. Uh, Levi has the distinct pleasure of being joined by returning. All star Hall of Fame guest, guest, uh, podcast guest, <laughs> Michael, the one and only Pepper. What's up, Pepper? What's going on? Um, how, how do I follow that? I, I don't know. I'm just tooting your horn a little bit, man. Uh, <laughs> Pepper's been on the podcast a couple times. Um, always like to talk to him. So we're, we're, uh, just going to kind of talk about several different things on this episode and um something that's been uh, we were talking before before i hit record and i think all of us are kind of aware that we're really maybe more so than than any point so far this season are really starting to see kind of a transition you know i'm seeing more bucks on camera and 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 when i say that i mean i'm seeing bucks in camera locations outside of just the you know, we all have camera locations that we start running in the summertime on feed sites and stuff, and you kind of expect to see those deer coming and going from those places. But starting to see deer act a little bit different, um, starting to move cameras around. Uh, I know we, we all kind of said we saw that. And, uh, Pepper, you you mentioned to me earlier when we were talking that uh, you spent a lot of time scouting recently, and uh, I want you to just kind of expand on, like, what is your – what is your strategy? You know, you get to the middle of November and you feel like you need to put that time in. What I mean, what are you thinking? What are you looking for? Well, I've, I've been hunting a five and a half year old deer, and he disappeared close to two weeks ago. And before that, I was really trying to find how he's entering my property. And basically, what I'm doing is is running around. I, I was looking for oak trees that were hot. And there's so many acorns right now that it's hard to find. 
they're just walking through the woods, eating everywhere. They, you know, there's not really, it's really hard to find a good hot tree with a lot of deer scat around it where they're hanging out. They're just passing by eating. Uh, I moved two cell cameras today. I actually went 1.1 miles deep with my furthest cell camera and I set the first one up on a scrape and I know that's going to be nighttime activity probably but I'm just I'm looking for any activity I can find right now the the second one I set up on a about a one to one and a half inch diameter pine tree that had been snapped off about two foot above the ground so I think that there's a good possibility a mature deer did that and he's basically the only real mature deer in in my area i have a four and a half year old he left about the same time but luckily he ended up crossing the road and getting on one of my wife's spots so i've been over there molesting her property so (laughs) (laughs) trying to kill him too well she she's she's killed she's killed enough she can let you have some do what now? I said, she's killed enough this year. She can let you have some. She can let you in on oh, it a yeah, little bit, she, huh? She was gracious enough to let me hunt one of a deer that she had pictures of. So it was a nine point. And I actually saw him a couple of evenings ago. Uh, but he, he circled downwind of me, never winded me, and got up there on top of a mound, came through a saddle, got up on top of a mound, and he was upwind of me wasn't even downwind of me i don't know what happened but he turned inside out and left a few minutes later he was down at another spot i got climbed down got my gear together at the bottom of the tree turned and started walking i walked about 10 feet and it sounded more like a hog blow so that deer at 610 was at another spot it was 610 whenever I walked out that hog blew and at 614 he ran the deer off the other spot and at 650 he was back where I saw him where I was hunting so it's hmm. but they're they're chasing pretty hard around here the mature hmm. deer are well we talked to Wade Butcher earlier this week this last episode and he mentioned you know he's up there in y'all's area and, and he mentioned that he typically sees that kind of activity this time of the year or actually about a week ago and he, and he thought it was a little bit behind we don't have that here um i do usually get a flurry of rut activity around thanksgiving but um i would say i'm a week away from seeing any of that but i have seen a definite kind of precursor to it in that i've taken pictures on trails not on food sources on trails of uh two different bucks that were both of them at least four years i actually think they're both five years old because i recognize both of them from last year and i feel pretty confident they were four-year-olds last year and i hadn't taken a picture of them at all this year i didn't even know if they survived and then lo and behold in the last seven eight days they're up moving around and then this morning i saw a uh I saw a couple of bucks up moving around mid-morning, younger bucks. But um, 
it just in terms of overall deer movement, it's kind of a big change for me. But I got kind of a scenario that I want both of you to kind of provide me your opinion on. So I showed y'all the picture of a deer just a minute ago, right? That I took, just took a, a picture of on a camera this afternoon about 645. So here's the story. That deer, I had him on camera in that exact same spot last year before the season, all the way through bow season. My son was hunting him, almost got a shot at him in October. Um, he stayed in that same area all the way up until the rut. Then he, well, I say the rut, the first part, of like this time of the year, that first pre-rut that we have around Thanksgiving. And then he disappeared. Then he showed back up in December, and he had lost half of his rack. And when I say he lost half of his rack, I don't know what the guy got into, but he literally broke off his main beam right past his brow tine. Like, I honestly wonder if he didn't run into the side of a car or something, because I can't imagine a fight. I mean, this was a four-year-old deer with decent-sized horns. He was probably 125-inch eight-point, 120-inch eight-point, something like that. Um a decent pine country deer this wasn't no little bitty you know spindly horned deer and it i mean it was kind of a jagged break right above the brow time anyway that's just a side note to the story he lost half his rack so i quit hunting him and but he showed back up in december in the same spot i've only ever taken a picture of him in this one spot so last year i was actually feeding some corn in that spot when I started taking this picture. And I didn't feed corn there. I fed corn there during bow season in October, and then I stopped. But he still showed back up in that area, and there's a food plot about 100 yards from there, and I would get his picture in there. So fast forward to this year. There's been a camera in that spot since September. I've not taken a single picture of him. I honestly didn't know. I felt like he survived because I had his picture late into the year, but not necessarily all the way up to the last day. And he's over in the corner of the property where the neighbors hunt pretty hard and they would have shot him for sure. So I wasn't 100% sure he survived. And then when I didn't get any pictures of him this summer, I was, you know, in, in early bow season, I was wondering. So, again, camera's been in the spot since September, taking pictures of deer coming and going, but not him. I want to say Thursday of last week, I took his picture at midnight, and I've taken his picture every night since, as early as 6.30, as late as midnight, except for yesterday. I've taken his picture four of the last five, or five of the last six nights, in front of the same camera, walking the same trail, and it's a little bit confused, like, what, what do you think is happening here, like? This is obviously his area. I mean, I, he was there all of last year. He left and came back there last year. So where has he been? And why, I mean, I feel like the, the movement has to do with the time of the year, but I don't know. You got any thoughts? Every every picture you get of him, is he always coming in the same direction? Yep. Every Every picture you get of him, is he always coming in from the same direction? Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. he's traveling 
from north, kind of northwest, angling southeast, past that camera, every every day now. And I say every day, every evening. I mean, I, I, I think of the four or five days, I think three of them, two or three of them are like 6, 30, 7, 8 o'clock, and then a couple of them are later, like midnight. Now, last well, year, I don't necessarily have Go ahead. Now, well, I did get his picture last week in that food plot uh, one night. Before he started showing up on this trail, he showed up in that food plot. And I got one night, got a bunch of pictures of him in there eating one night. And last year, I had corn there, so he was coming to the corn all the time, and I was getting his picture. So, I don't necessarily have an opinion to give you or advice to give you, but this year I did notice that the deer shifted from their summer homes to their fall homes later on our properties. Mm-hmm. Not only that, the four and a half and five and a half year old that I was just talking about completely disappeared off of my property when they didn't last year. They were solid on me last year. Rachel also had a four and a half and a six and a half year old that disappeared three weeks ago. Now, uh, of all those deer, a couple of them could have got killed. I don't know. Uh, one of them that I had, the five-and-a-half-year-old, if he'd have got killed, I believe I'd have heard about it. But but they they just disappeared yeah. off of our cameras anyways. Now, yeah. I've, we've been moving cameras around on trails, you know, off of food plots, off of corn piles, trying to figure out what's going on and cannot find them at all. So I, I don't know if they shifted their home range completely or I don't know what's going on with them. With the rising cost of goods and record high inflation, wouldn't it be great to save money on your auto insurance? With most companies in Louisiana increasing their rates on auto insurance, American National took a rate decrease. We look out for the best interests of our clients and look forward to earning your trust as well as your business. Call or text Jake Slocum at American National Insurance at 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. You're on your way to your stand early in the morning and you have an accident. You run off the road, total your truck, your bow, guns, and hunting gear damaged, maybe totaled as well. True or false, your auto coverage covers your bow, guns, and hunting gear that got damaged. False, your homeowner's or rental coverage has content coverage that extends to this event. To find out more, call or text Jake Slocum at American National Insurance at 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. So the thing about this deer that's confusing to me is while I I didn't put any feed out in that wooded area where you know i've been taking this picture for two years and taking it now there has been a corn feeder running in that food plot since august with a camera on it and he would go there and so it's it's a food plot it's got a corn feeder in it that runs most of the year really and then you go out of the food plot and down the road about 100 yards and there's a just a kind of a, a, a little small corner of hardwoods between two pine thickets where 
the Camry is where I've been taking this picture for two years. And last year when there was corn there, obviously he came there all the time to eat that, but he would also go eat in the food plot as well. I mean, he went back and forth. And it was, it was obvious he lived right there <clears throat> on the uh, east side of that block of hardwoods. I mean, I kind of had him figured out. I just never could kill him. Um, what's confusing to me this year is there wasn't corn in the woods, but there was corn in the food plot, and he never came. And a lot of deer are still using that corner of hardwoods to go between thickets. And I'm taking their pictures a lot, but not his. And if <clears throat> if he had been a deer that had showed up in November last year, then this would fit, right? He shows up in November to this area for some reason. But this is kind of the opposite. He was there in the summer and left in November. Now he wasn't there in the summer, and he showed up in November. And so I'm kind of of the opinion that, again, I say, I'm fairly sure he's five years old, maybe even six years old, because I believe he was at least four years old last year, which means he's kind of reached that age where maybe his habits are just changing. He's never really left. I know he left last year during the rut because the neighbors started getting pictures of him, and it was pretty obvious because he had one side of his rack. You know, Everybody knew who he was. Um, and I wonder if it's just a a shift in his behavior because of his age where he hasn't really left. He just, you know, he's just older and wiser. And I just ain't taking his picture like I was last year. And for some reason now with this cool weather and changing of the seasons, he's now up moving around in the evenings, and he just hadn't done that. He just ain't going to a corn feeder, and he just hadn't been up moving. I don't I know. It. Instead of putting one bag of corn out, put three bags of corn out. Mm. Bigger corn pile. Bigger corn pile. Bigger death. Corn pile. De- guaranteed death, huh? No, that's also going to feed the hogs more. I've basically gotten to this. I've, I've all but gotten to the point where I've got a couple of, uh, on 400 acres, i got a couple of corn feeders, and they're in established locations. So I just keep them running, and I'm just, I, I'm just done feeding the freaking hogs, man. Like, it just, yeah. you know, <laughs> I can go put a bag of corn out somewhere, and and if I do it in a smart location, I mean, I'll get a few pictures of deer, and I guess that's worth it, but it doesn't take more than a day or two, and that's over with. The hogs just move in. I mean, it's just, I'm kind of the opinion that I know all my neighbors are feeding. Just let them feed the hogs, you know. Keep them away from my food plots. They had not rutted up my food plots yet, so that's getting pretty bad. How far away is that, uh? Didn't you tell me he's coming, he's like moving from the northeast? Northwest, northwest going southeast. How far is he from the neighbor's property? Well, shit. You may not want to tell me that because your neighbors may be listening. (laughs) They don't know. They they wouldn't know if they were. He's No, he's coming. I mean, he's either walking the line or he's coming from. There's actually two neighbors that come together right there where he's coming from. So he's either coming out of my thicket and just walking down the line or he's coming out of one of their properties and it's not a hundred yards. Yeah. But that, that is one little small neighbor there that I don't think they hunt that piece. I've never heard or seen anybody over there. So I don't think anybody's feeding him over there. But I don't know. You never know. Somebody might be feeding him over there. They don't hunt a lot. They're, those, the older they get, they become magicians of staying away from hunting pressure. Yeah. I don't know. It's just curious to me because it is a really a polar 
opposite situation I'm dealing with with the same deer. I got a deer that was a homebody until November, and now I got a deer that did the exact opposite. He wasn't there until November. So he left in November last year. He shows up in November this year. Same deer, same location. I don't know. I, I mean, if he keeps doing what he's doing, it'll be similar to last year. I just got to, you know, be there at the right time. I, I kind of know what he's doing, where I think I know where he's bedding. I just got to wait for him to move in the daylight, you know, but I don't know. We don't typically see him moot shift this hard, even at six and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I, I'll tell you this. It's crazy this year. I'll tell you it's something strange. that's very different for me. And I don't, I, I know that you don't deal, you're not dealing with this, but you may have an opinion about how it's affected me. You know, last year, we had, I mean, we're dealing with a, a year separated from a whole lot of damage from the from Hurricane Ida. So last year, it was kind of fresh, you know. I mean, there was trees down and the woods changed, but it was all fresh, you know. I mean, it happened in the late summer. You know, deer season's only a month or so away. And now you're a year advanced, and they've kind of settled into those changes in the in the geography, I feel like, you know, the woods look completely different than they did a year ago because you've had a whole summer of sunlight coming down through all that open space where all the trees are down. Those treetops are now covered up in briars and, you know, so I wonder how much, obviously in a given location where you have a stand set up, um, you know, you can obviously have a travel route change going around a root ball or treetop or something like that. But just in the overall, land, how they access the entire landscape, how much how much has changed and how much has it moved deer around? Because it's, I mean, it really wasn't the hurricane. What happened was uh, a tornado spun off of the hurricane and went right through my property or right through the north side of my property. And it went, of course, it didn't go through the pine trees. It had to go through the hardwoods. And... I mean, it's just devastating. And so I, I, I wonder about that, too. Like, after a year, uh, living with it for a year, how much has it changed them, you know? I mean, our property, you know, I've mentioned it before, you know, we cut our timber back real hard on our property, and it's, you almost have to go out there and relearn where the deer are at to an extent. 100%. Yeah. I mean, back in our big woods now, they can literally bed anywhere. So, I mean, traditionally, like that spot where you killed your deer over there, Locke, when you were hunting with me two years mm-hmm. ago, uh, I've had a camera in there, and that, that thing's still red hot right there. But, I mean, you just kind of go off your historical spots, you know, and, I mean, it's just kind of a guessing game. It's a, you know climb here, move down 100 yards, you're not seeing anything, you know. And not like they've been in the same place every night because they don't, but, you know, they may have several spots they bed. They may be bedding, you know, he may bed there for two or three days and he may be a mile from there, yeah. you know, next week. I mean, you never know, but. You know, I, I, I feel like, you know, given a like a majority what I suspect is a majority 
kind of demographic of the listening audience of this podcast. I think my property <clears throat> that I'm talking about here where I live in East Feliciana Parish is probably pretty representative of what a lot of people hunt. It's 400 acres. It's most, I mean, it's probably 300 acres of eight, seven, eight-year-old plantation pines. Got food plots in there. We got some creek bottoms and hardwoods mixed in there. Um, it's lease property. There's neighbors. You know, I mean, it, there's a lot of factors that I think a lot of people would probably find pretty familiar in, in where they hunt in Louisiana. And I know for me, I struggle. We talk about the trail cameras, and they're a huge benefit to us as hunters, obviously. And and I know, like for me, I have I, I kind of have this internal struggle, I guess that naturalist um, kind of vibe or whatever, where I want to be able to figure them out without the cameras, but I'm always at odds with myself about on a property like mine, which again, I think is probably very representative of what a lot of people are, are hunting. I, I really struggle with how much can I really do without messing up my hunting on property like that, you know, um, because there's really no way around the level of intrusion that it takes for me to do a ton of scouting. I mean, I, I don't feel like I can do a whole lot of scouting without sacrificing some days because if the deer I'm after is in there, he's going to know because I, I just can't, you know, I can't avoid it. It's so thick and, um, from an access standpoint, I mean, I do the best I can with the tractor and off season, keeping the roads and access points up and all that. But still, I mean, it, it's pretty intrusive to do very much scouting outside of just right off the roadways, right off the food plots. And so, I mean, the cameras are a huge help, but I, I don't know if other people like deal with this, but when we get to like this time of the year, like I was hunting this morning and I'm, I'm in a, a section of hardwoods and I, I don't know if y'all do this, but I find myself when I'm hunting in a section of hardwoods, I'm always listening because I'm, I'm more, uh, a lot of times I've been sitting on a morning hunt and identified a really hot feed tree just by listening to it drop 200 yards away. You know, you sit there for three or four hours and you just constantly hear an acorns fall in one spot and it's a pretty good indication, you know, so you get down and you go over there and check it out, right? It ends up being a good spot. I've I've identified some really good spots that way. Um, and this morning, it's kind of the opposite because we lost a lot of acorn trees, and there's not as many, and we don't have a good acorn crop on my property this year compared to others. And I was sitting in the stand, and I was it's like, on the one hand, I've gotten more pictures of of bucks up on their feet right after dark just kind of more movement than i've seen so far this year that kind of signals kind of signals to me that things are getting going a little bit deer starting to move around a little bit change their patterns um whatever and so i'm sitting there and i'm thinking i'm not hearing these trees around me and i'm struck like i want to get down and go look around but at the same time i just had these two bucks walk through here I took a picture of a pretty good buck last night, a hundred yards out in front of me, and I'm debating with myself: what's the wiser move? 
to do just keep doing what I'm doing and observe until I figure this spot out, or do I get down and spend the rest of the morning looking? I mean, you, you, you listen to some people talk, and like Mr. Warren Womack, for example, um, who a lot of people have heard from a lot of podcasts and this podcast. I mean, he's a big proponent of scouting during the day, and but I'm not really that way. I don't know how y'all feel, but I just I like I can't get over what I might be messing up if I get down and go a hundred yards that way. The deer I'm after, I know he's in there. You know, I got his picture last night. I know he's in there. And what if he's bedded 150 yards over there, and for the sake of me trying to go find a hot feed tree, if I just keep coming and hunting this spot wisely on the right days with the right wind, he's eventually going to walk past me. I know he is. Or do I take the chance to close the distance and figure him out and kill him easier, quicker, better location or something like the risk reward factor. How do you how do you debate that for yourself? If you're looking to buy your very own hunting property or maybe you got a piece of property that you're looking to sell, you need to contact our friend Slade Priest, the Hunting Land Man, a licensed realtor with Southern States Realty and a land pro with Realtree United Country Hunting Properties. Slade's more than just a real estate agent. As the host of the Sportsman Channel television show Trained Assassins and Hunt United on the Realtree 365 app, as well as his new digital series, Hunting Land Man, on Waypoint TV. His life has always been centered around the outdoors and God's creation. With the ability to leverage years of experience, knowledge, and a unique perspective gained from working in the family's timber and wildlife business, Slade just understands the recreational land market, and he gets results. Nobody sells more in Mississippi and Louisiana. To search for your new hunting property, visit huntinglandmanms.com or contact Slade at 601-888-0094 for a free consultation. I don't think I would risk it. Not in a situation like that. Well, I said that. Let me say this again, Pepper, because I said that really definitively. I said that really definitively. I don't have enough information to say for sure if I just sit there. But there's a side of me that feels like, I've got this stand set up right. I can get in here and access it, and unless I just get unlucky and he's standing 30 yards from the stand at daylight when I walk in, I can slip in and out of this stand with the right wind, and I know this is where he lives, and I've killed three or four deer in here the same way, and eventually I don't really need to know that much more about it. I got one picture of him last night that confirms to me that he's in here, and historically I know he's going to be, but with all the changes in the woods, with all the trees down and stuff, there's still that, that itch that makes me want to get out and go look, you know, find a better spot, that kind of thing. I still don't think I would risk something like that, especially if you've seen him. He's in the area. Yeah, well, I mean, I've seen him on camera. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I've gotten, the past couple of years, I've gotten a little bit more aggressive than I used to be. If you're getting as... If you're getting consistent daylight pictures of him, I would say you probably wouldn't move. But, you know, if you're getting him an hour after dark or hour after daylight, I mean, you know, in the evenings, I, this is just me throwing like a number out there. I would think he's probably within 500 yards of you, just guessing. I think I think he's somewhere within 500 yards of where you're getting his picture, maybe. He's consistently in there like an hour, hour and a half after dark. Uh, if it was all midnight, I wouldn't be worried about it at all. 
because. But I don't think he's that far. I don't think he's that far. Yeah. And I threw you a monkey wrench. I'm actually talking about a different deer. Well, you, in a totally different I mean, spot. Your gut. <laughs> your gut's normally your best indicator. Well, and the reason I say that, you know, for the sake of podcast conversation is because my gut is completely twisted about it because I find myself more and more every year that I, I mean, I guess I would say that I've been pretty much hunting the way I hunt, bow only, for 10 years. I, I'm i trying to think. I shot a deer, I shot a buck with a rifle. Mm, probably eight years ago, but I only did that because I took flip hunting. He was like five years old and he wanted to go hunting. So I went hunting and a buck walked out and I shot it. You know, more for him. Then I, I didn't really rifle hunt that year is what I'm saying. I just went that day to take my kid and, you know, took a rifle. But I've been hunting this way, and the more and more I hunt this way, I hear a lot of that. I read articles, and I hear podcasts, and I hear people talk a lot about, uh, you know, the scouting. And I say this because, you know, I'm kind of correlating this conversation, Pepper, a little bit to, you know, what you're telling me, how you've been scouting a lot the last, you know, recently with the change in deer behavior and uh, change in what you're seeing on camera and stuff, I've gotten more and more anxiety about in-season scouting because I feel, at least where I hunt here, now I don't always feel this way if I go to places that are less pressured or in the Midwest where the deer kind of act differently, but where I'm hunting now, I am I have developed a severe anxiety towards bumping deer because I think that it's, like, I really feel strongly that I have very small windows of opportunity. And, like, this morning, I'm sitting there this morning. The first time in this tree, because I'm in a spot that I've hunted traditionally for, uh, since I've had this property, but with the hurricane and all, I actually moved my stand about 50 or 60 yards to the west. So I'm kind of hunting the same spot. I mean, I'm out of bow range of my other tree, but I'm hunting the same general spot. But it's the first time in this tree, and I'm like, I know people say this all the time, but I'm literally almost 30 feet up. Like, I'm not exaggerating. This, I, I got, I, this is way up there. And so I feel like I'm doing all that part right, and here comes his three-point, and he's just minding his own business, and he gets to 20 yards, and all of a sudden he just knows I'm there. You know, just typical bullshit. And I'm like, dude, just calm down. I'm not going to mess with you. Just go on about your way. You know, you don't got to sit there and do all that. And I just got all irritated about it because I'm like, I just, I am, um, I get really, really concerned. And, and, and I guess what I'm saying, when you know, kind of bringing it all around with the conversation is like, it's a real kind of struggle for me because I feel like this is a hard property to hunt in finding and getting on deer and I feel like I need to be doing more work to really get on the X and be in the game but I feel like doing that is also a disadvantage and I don't know what the hell to do so tell me what to do Levi need you to tell me what to do I don't know about you guys but whenever deer season rolls around I almost immediately start dreaming of chasing big bucks in the midwest during the November rut there's not a better state to do it than Kansas 180 Outdoors is your southeast Kansas connection 
180 Outdoors offers free-range fair chase Kansas hunting at its finest in one of the best parts of the country, southeastern Kansas. They offer guided and non-guided deer, turkey, and waterfowl hunts. But one of the things they do that's very different is they're also land professionals, and they offer leases on proven farms that produce giant whitetails. So if you've ever wanted to have your own Kansas farm, where you can run your own cameras, do your own scouting, and get the full Midwest whitetail experience, 180's got a number of Kansas farms listed on their website right now at hunt180.com, or you can give them a call and find out what else they make and hook you up with at 620-325-4093. Guided, non-guided, lodging, whitetail, deer, turkey, waterfowl, leases, recreational land purchase, anything you need, 180 Outdoors is your Southeast Kansas connection. Hunt180.com. Dude, I'll tell you what I do. If you if you want to go do some scouting, this worked for me the past couple of years. If you see them, and, you know, normally I don't get to hunt a whole lot during the week. I hunt on the weekends, basically. But I've had it once this, this year so far. But, man, if you see a, some rainy weather coming in for a couple of days, I'll – put my rain suit on and I go walking I, I I find more sign and see more stuff and find better places I, I just I feel like I'm not as intrusive walking around in the rain because I mean you can yeah people say they won't but you know typically you know you go stomp around out kind of close to a bedding area and it comes a monsoon, it's going to kind of wash your sin away a little bit. Now, I just, I feel like you can creep around a lot easier or in and around those thickets. Uh, obviously, a deer can't hear very well when it's raining. So, if it's raining pretty hard, they're going to be bedded up. So, to an extent, unless it's during the rut or something like that. But, you know, I, I've, I've had a lot of success the past couple of years doing that. And, I absolutely. I, I used to sit in the camp and watch football yeah. when it rains. But do you do that, Pepper? Years, I get kind of excited when it when a good rainstorms come in. So, do you do that? My my property is kind of like yours. Uh, you know, my my deer are heavily heavily pressured also, and that scouting I'm doing. You know, I'm I'm not just walking off through the woods um it's pretty it's fairly strategic i'm just slipping through the woods trying to get it done but uh you, you didn't pick up on that did you? no i picked up on anyway. it i did I'm just letting you have it <laughs> uh but like levi the last two or three years i myself have gotten a good bit more aggressive on my scouting and my hunting if I was in a situation like you were, though, where I was in the area, felt like I was in the game, if you feel like you're in the game, maybe you need to observe more. But if you don't feel like you're in the game, if you think you're just outside the game, maybe you do want to inch a little bit closer. Yeah. That's what I'm doing right now, but but I don't have that same scenario you have. I'm I, I don't have any mature deer on camera on 450 acres. And that's trails, corn piles, feeders, oak trees, everything. So I'm I'm 
a little bit more aggressive than what I'm trying to tell tell you. I think you ought to be because I've got to find something. Yeah, I guess kind of the 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 trick or or kind of the the thing about this conversation is is I'm actually very much the polar opposite of you in that I haven't had any mature bucks until like a week ago. And so I had kind of gotten myself in the mode of, okay, I know there's deer here. There's no doubt there are deer here. The neighbors got pictures of them. For some reason, I'm not. And I got to go find them. And as soon as I kind of get myself in that mode, then I start getting pictures. I'm like, well, shit, now what do I do? Because now I don't want to go walking around through the woods because I've moved a few cameras and kind of relied on some that have been there. And now I'm starting to see the deer and it's like, hold on, pump the brake. So I'm kind of the opposite of you. My deer have just started showing up on camera where yours have disappeared from camera. You know, and I think if I were in your situation, which I was in your situation a week ago, I would be more apt to, you know, hit it a little bit harder because I'm I'm kind of like, I got to find a deer to hunt, you know. Um, and I was there. I come back from Kansas um, on November the 9th, and I'm like, shit, I got to figure it out, you know. And I, I guess I pushed a few right buttons because I went and moved a few cameras around, and within a week I actually found you know, got a, a couple of, uh, of deer on camera. So I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I find it to be an interesting conversation, generally speaking, because I think that a lot of people, and I think you two will agree with this, I think a lot of people get stuck in a rut. Maybe they're not really stuck in a rut. They're just kind of blind leading the blind in that they've always went over to the camp on the weekends. They've hung their stands over feed sites and food plots and historically common use areas. And they kind of throw a dart at the map board every Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and they just keep hunting them until the till the roll of the dice hits. And, and, you know, we're at the point now where that's been going on on hunting clubs for six weeks. I and mean, you got to kind of know the deer know what's going on, right? And I... And so I guess the, kind of the point of the conversation is to talk a little bit more about what should your strategy be because I think that everybody needs to be considering the change that's, that's happening or inevitably going to start happening between what you saw leading up to the season, what you saw hunting and on camera throughout October, and now we're getting to colder temperatures, less browse, rifle hunting, Etc. cetera, pressure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, on a very broad, from a very broad, like you're talking about a specific scenario where you're trying to find a certain deer that's disappeared off camera. I'm talking about, you know, kind of honing in on specific things. But on a, in a very broad sense, for somebody who hasn't really considered it, what should they be considering? If there's, I'm going to the camp this weekend and uh, maybe I need to look a little bit harder at how I'm hunting. I mean, what's some things they can do to try to kind of play into the inevitable changes that are going to be happening in the season? Bigger corn pile. Mm. <laughs> need I say more? <laughs> oh, I, said it, I said it a few weeks ago, the definition of insanity is, doing the same thing over and over expecting different results so if you're if you're hunting the same stand and seeing the same spike or the same four point and 
you got a shooter showing up on camera at midnight. It's time to it's time to move. You can't. I mean, and you may catch it, you know, a, a cold day and you know around Christmas or something like that. You know, depending on where you're at in the state, could be post rut where you catch him in there at some odd time, midday or whatever, and you know, get lucky. It does happen, but. I absolutely cannot stand that. I, I don't know how people hunt like that. I mean, I do understand the enjoyment of just going to the camp, sitting in sure. the wood, deer hunting. I get sure. it. Yep, me but, too. But, you know, Colin made the comment to me when we were hunting in Kansas just because we didn't have a good hunt and the weather wasn't good, and we never did feel like, even though we had done, I had been up there twice before the season, and we had done a lot of homework. We just weren't. We didn't do any homework in the direction of the what we what we were given weather wise, which threw everything off. But he made the comment like halfway through the hunt, where we're not we're not really seeing much of anything um, in the way of what you're there for in the Midwest in November. And he's like, you know, at this point, do you even feel like we're in the game, or are we just hunting to be lucky? And we were, you know, the deer weren't rutting, they weren't acting right, and we were just hunting to be lucky. We were just hoping we went to the right spot, and one of those deer we had on camera in the summertime just walked past us. And so many people hunt that way, and I that's so hard for me to... Like I said, I get the... I get the... in Just the enjoyment of, of just going hunting and being at the camp on the weekends and stuff, but, but just hunting to get lucky, I, I don't know how that keeps you... I don't know how people stay motivated hunting that way. You know, and I know you two don't hunt that way. I've hunted with both of you, and you both are very strategic in the way that you hunt, and and I am too. And I I, I don't know. I question that. And I'm gonna rub, let me let me just go ahead and rub some people the wrong way. Okay, y'all ready? <laughs> get after it. <laughs> we get these questions from time to time every year at Louisiana Bowhunter. And I know people, and I've been around people that hunt in these hunting clubs that have this godforsaken dumbass rule where you're a member of a thousand acre lease, but you can only hunt one section where your stands are. Like you're assigned a hundred acres, or you're assigned this block, and that's where you can hunt, but you're a member of the entire lease. Your strategy should be find somewhere else to hunt as quickly as you can because that's the dumbest shit ever. Am I the only one that feels that way? (laughs) And I know people like they go join a 2,000 acre lease somewhere and they get in the lease and they're like, all right, well, this is your section. You can hang as many stands as you want and then we've got a couple of public stands on food plots that you can hunt. Why the hell did you join a 2,000 acre lease if you can only hunt 100 acres? And then I feel bad for those guys because I feel bad for those guys because they don't have a choice but to do what we're talking about because their hundred acres might not be on the X. Yeah, I guarantee you the club president's hundred acres his is on the X. (laughs) Damn, guarantee you that. Absolutely. I just I don't I never under and I I only mention that because I, I thought I think about those kind of places when I'm you know in this kind of conversation and we're talking about like how do you make a plan when when your deer disappears off camera or you haven't gotten a picture of a deer that you want to hunt all season how do you make a plan well if you're stuck to hunting this one block on this whole lease that you're paying to be in what choice do you have and i've never understood why people do that i don't know um 
Anyway. Um, do what? I mean, I just, I just, I just want to make okay? mention. I just want, yeah, I'm, I'm okay because I, ain't, you ain't gonna find me doing that. Um, <laughs> I could went public before I did that, and that's saying something. If you know me, that's that's a mouthful because I don't hunt public. Um, I ran across this article, and I shared it with Levi, and I'm gonna mention some of the parts of it, and I want to talk about it a little bit because I don't think there's anything like eye-opening changing but it's interesting in that people don't talk about this and with us being kind of you know pepper you mentioned they're chasing uh, you know where you're at and we're just going to start having rut kind of like a wave through the state here over the next several weeks the the title of this article is when doe fawns breed it's a good sign it was actually written uh several years ago by a biologist in pennsylvania but uh, I saw it shared on social media. I thought it was really interesting. And kind of like the, the keynote kind of statement at the beginning of it, is it says some doe fawns breed and conceive in their first fall, which is a little bit news to me. I, I don't guess I ever considered it that much, but I wouldn't have thought that that happened. But at around six to eight months of age, some doe fawns will actually uh, conceive. Um. And that is determined by nutrition, whether they uh, attain sexual maturity and reach a specific weight threshold. Um, It says in general that southern fawns will reach about 70 pounds, northern fawns about 80 pounds. And um, that's the threshold needed for them to have a late estrus period and uh, what people consider a second rut. Now, I have heard my whole life a lot of times your second rut are your younger does late does i don't know if y'all have heard that but yes i've, I've heard that yeah um kip, kip adams right yep article. yep a, kip adams he's a pretty knowledgeable guy so it says since the percentage of doe fawns bred is based on weight and not age it's a good indicator of herd health um Deer herds with abundantly high-quality forage and moderate winters can have breeding of up to 50% in their doe fawns. Conversely, herds exposed to poor habitat and severe winters have less than a 5% of their doe fawns that reach the threshold. Um, so in y'all's experience, both of you, you know, manage property and have for a long time it, it how much of this do you think i mean obviously the good sign is that if this is happening in your place not only are you going to have an extended rut because you're going to have a you know a lot more deer going into estrus uh, but it's 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 evident that you have good nutrition good browse and all that for your deer how, how much of this do you think is happening in your area be honest with you for me this is kind of new to me believe i sent this to me earlier and i read over it and i actually saw on deer and deer hunting on the pursuit channel which i know you hate so much the other day, i don't i love uh, it uh some of us can't afford to Get the good stuff. So, Same, but damn, anyway, YouTube's uh, free, Pepper. I saw on Pursuit Channel. Huh? YouTube is free, bro. <laughs> I saw on the Pursuit Channel 
the other day on deer and deer hunting uh something about this uh, i wasn't tuned in like i should have i don't guess but but uh but we killed one and a half year old deer the following year or or, or i have never killed a fawn and dressed it and even looked at the at the embryo sack or anything to be honest with you i've seen bucks chasing phones before uh really haven't paid that much attention to it i don't guess i wonder i mean i know i know they're talking about this certain like body weight threshold that's necessary but when the way that's worded that sounds to me like that's the minimum standard i mean a damn 70 or 80 pound yearling doe is a that's a pretty big yearling in in a lot of louisiana i mean we kill mature big mature grown does that are 95 pounds you know so a 70 let's say catch an average here is like 75 they say the southern deer are about 70 northern deer are about 80 pounds so an average a healthy yearling in the south is going to be what 72 pounds 68 to 72 pounds it seems to me like that'd be really hard on a pregnancy yeah and another thing too is just the huge extremes you have of body size for deer like the place we hunt i mean it's not uncommon to kill 130, 140 pound doe every year. We normally kill a couple a year that are that big. As in our bucks, you know, a, a five and a half year old deer, we have killed a buck in Louisiana that weighed 280 pounds on our place. So now that's, yeah. that's very big, but as versed to pepper, I mean, a big deer over here where he hunts is, is 200 pounds. I mean, that's a, that's a big body deer. So, and I think it, like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think it said something about, did it say anything about, like, varying body weights, like, across the, across the states as far as getting, like, accurate numbers or? Well, it really just talked about what average really weights are for. South and the north, basically. Yeah, you know? it just averaged them out um, southern versus northern. I, I, I so find it. Go ahead. Elaborate on what Levi just said on something I do know about is we've killed five and a half year old deer on the area my wife hunts that were, I, I think that thing weighed 150 pounds. A five and a half year old 10 point weighed 150 pounds. Uh, she killed a six and a half year old 10 point last year that weighed 146 pounds. A six and a half year old deer. Now on the same property, she's killed. We've both killed up to two hundred and ten pound deer on that property. She killed one this year that was five and a half that weighed two hundred and five. Then across the road, I killed a five and a half year old deer a few years ago that weighed two hundred and twenty five. And so, what I, do you attribute that to? I I think it's nutrition. I think it's. Where where the deer summer versus others and the nutrition they're getting. 
I think. I really don't know. One of them, uh, the six-and-a-half-year-old year 10 points she killed last year that weighed 146, was we thought it was a dwarf deer, literally. Well, you would have uh, to you would have to subscribe to the theory, you know, in that case that that deer had such a small home range that it only benefited from a very localized nutrition. Yes, but it, he had a decent sized little rack on him for for his body. But do you don't think there's a genetic trait in that it, area? It could be. We, we thought that deer was a dwarf deer, so I named him Roloff. After the the show, the Roloffs. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was literally that small, short legged, and everything. From two, I think we had him at two and a half years old, and he just looked like a dwarf deer. It may be genetic. I just I wonder, don't like anything away from the fawn breeding that we're talking about. But, yeah, but the body size, you know, it, they're talking about here in the south, a, a fawn weighing seventy pounds. Well, there's a lot that that's going to contribute to fawn weighing 70 pounds here in the south. Well, I... We see them them on our place, and one real... I don't think he brought it up yet. One real interesting thing for people that are listening to look at, if you kill a doe, uh, just say next year, and you pull the jawbone out, and it's a year and a half old, and there's all kind of videos and diagrams that you can look online. A a one-and-a-half-year-old jawbone is very easy to to see once you know what you're looking at but if you pull a jawbone out of a year and a half old doe that doe was bred as a yearling the previous fall if it's lactating so it's kind of a we've seen that on our place I, i've seen it several times on our place so so it's a good indicator of a good way to well, I, it, it's not. I, I tell you the correlation. Like, so just kind of thinking about a couple of things because I, I find what you're talking about, Pepper. I find that really interesting because of all the different theories that you could come up with. What I, I think, what I think, the theory that I think makes most sense to me is that you've got a genetic string in that area of smaller deer because it's mm-hmm. it's not like you're going from 185 to 205, you know. Right. You're going from 146, 150 to 210, 220, you know. As a mature deer, I mean, we're, you know. That's a huge gap. You know, that doesn't. Now, like, if you go, like, my, I'm from southwest Mississippi, so it's an easy, this is an easy uh, analogy to make. When you go through southwest Mississippi in the Natchez area and you go up Highway 61, the west side of Highway 61 is 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 the hills, the fertile ground, all the way down into the river basin um, of the Mississippi River. The east side of Highway 61 is hill country, a lot of pine country. It's vastly different. So it's really not hard to hunt five miles on the west side of 61 and kill a 225-pound river deer and then drive five miles, ten miles total, five miles to the other side of highway 61 and kill a 170 pound mature buck same age same general health status you know living in a similar kind of deer density deer herd they're two different deer you know their nutritional intake is very obvious and they live in two completely different um 
you know, areas of, of uh, what they have at their disposal and all that kind of stuff. But, like, what you're talking about, I mean, we're literally talking about, you know, basically the same area, just two different properties on different sides of the road right down the road from each other. And up to 70 pounds different. And that that's, yeah. That, and so that just feels like there's a string of deer running. Through, like, and, and so we're here at where I'm at in East Feliciana Parish. There's stories specifically where I'm at in East Feliciana Parish, not just the parish. But here, the Idle, the LSU Idlewild Deer Research Center is about five miles from my house. And I think historically between there and some other areas in this part of the parish, there's been some different high fences and other things where different deer were brought into here and have gotten out into the general populace over 30, 40 years. And I'm not talking about somebody bringing a buck from uh, – somewhere up north and just turning him loose and letting him breed. I'm talking about years and years of numbers of deer interbreeding. And so it's obvious I can it, – it's common in this area to take pictures of two bucks on the same food plot, and they are obviously different animals. One of them has that bigger northern deer genetic that's kind of been interbred into this area, and the other is a more Florida parishes – southern pine country deer you know and you can see the difference not just in their body i mean it's in their body weight and it's in their antler growth but you can see the difference you know that 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 deer i showed y'all a picture of a minute ago that was killed by my house that's a deer that's got the genetics that have somehow made their way into this area that's not normal but we do kill those deer around here but you know you can see those deer so i know it happens and that makes me wonder like in your area but the other thing i was going to say that correlates to our conversation a little bit it seems to me that it's really you could really kind of logically deduce is if a yearling a, a small yearling gets bred are they going to produce a less hardy fawn and that deer, you know, is more inclined to not get as big, not be as healthy. Or does that average itself over time? If it may, if the fawn's born and it makes it, is it still going to get its, you know, I don't know. I just That's a thought that I have is if you're in an area where your deer herd is such that, like in this article it says, um, in... Uh, I think it basically averages nationwide 26% of doe fawns bred uh, about a 26% ratio or 26% average of doe fawns get bred. It said in Iowa, 10% of those doe fawns actually gave birth to twins. And in Ohio, 21% of those doe fawns gave birth to twins. But I can't help but wonder if if you're in an area where you have a lot of that happen and if i mean can they produce the same healthy deer as a big Quality mature doe yeah and does that even matter i'm obviously not a biologist does that even matter if they produce the deer and it makes it to health is it just going to grow to what its genetic potential is no matter how it was conceived or you know like you're 
your instance of a dwarf deer. If that deer is born to a year and a half year old 65 pound yearling, is it stunted from the get go? You know, does it never really have a chance to get that big because it just is born a small fawn from a small mother? I don't know. This is I'm just talking. It's just kind of a curious thing to me. It's a good point. I don't know. I can tell you one thing though: one that's born to a, to a yearling is not going to be near as weary off the hoof as one born to a <laughs> seven or eight year old doe. I can no assure you that. No doubt. I I know it's just completely unscientific, and it may be just dumbass for me to make these kind of assumptions being that I am no scientist, no biologist, and don't have a damn clue about anything I'm really talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But when I sit in a food plot and I watch that doe that we all hate to see coming and she comes out there and she's got a head like a freaking donkey, you know, and she looks, she's got a sway in her back. She looks like she needs a saddle, you know. I just feel like she's producing some healthy ass fawns. Well, that goes back to, I mean, we've got, I'm not a big cow person, but we've got cows, and you can always pick out the real good mama cows are the ones that are always really, really skinny that are giving all they can give to their calves. They're the same way, I think. The ones you see with yeah, a little bit later on in the year, you know, they're swayed back look like they're kind of a little bit bony in the hips or or something like that that yeah they've been around the block you see us way back on a doe she's probably pretty old yeah well i don't know it's just uh i just thought the article was interesting and I, i know that i don't i hunt in the midwest every year and in doing so i've made a lot of friends and been able to go up there in the off season and i've gotten to learn a lot i've i don't live there obviously and so i don't experience it from like a a year-long um or season-long type of perspective but it just feels to me like there's a lot more consistency in their deer herd when you get down here in the south you know like the example pepper's given the examples that i can give from this area it just feels like between the mississippi river the gulf coast region the pine country, we get so many variances of rut cycles and body sizes and deer density. And, I mean, you can literally drive 20 miles in one direction, and it's like you're in a whole different herd of deer in every way. And I know, like, when you go up there, it's just not that way. I mean, if the sucker can live to be five years old, he's going to have 140-plus inches of horns, you know? And they're they're just so much more consistent, and I just, I feel like we're kind of a melting pot. And I think, like, you know, as we kind of wind down, you're just kind of bringing the conversation around. We're talking about how do you, we talk on this podcast about all these different things, tactics, and, and um, like, just discussion, and maybe we're giving advice or whatever you want to call it. But it's hard because what I'm doing is – completely non-applicable is is inapplicable inapplicable a word unapplicable are those words i'm saying non-applicable it's not applicable to somebody not just in this state but 20 miles west of me 
It's just kind of a totally different deer. A totally different deer herd. Totally different everything. But in all that to say, if you're in one of those stupid hunting clubs where you only get to hunt 100 acres, you need to get out of it. That's that's <laughs> kind of the bottom. <laughs> the final thought. There's a lot of people that message me. Y'all may get the same thing, but there's a lot of people that message me. Well, not a lot, but there's several people that message me from time to time about they'll send me pictures of their deer. They'll they'll give me some information about what's going on with their property and all that kind of good stuff and then want me to say the magic words that help them kill that deer. And, <laughs> you know, here in Louisiana, it it – it's like that when you listen to podcasts and talk to people for deer up north in the Midwest. It's it's a little different up there. But and I've never hunted up there. I just going based off what I hear on podcasts and see on T V and and all. But uh but down here it is so hard to give anybody information, your even your own neighbor about trying to kill a specific mature deer because every single one of them are different animals and you see my property down here so diverse in in landscape that it just there's so many issues to deal with some people have more issues than others it's just hard to really hard to really give any kind of information other than just basics you know yeah. to help somebody well you you just while we're talking, you just texted me this picture, and they're they're kind of startling. Yes. So, Pepper, yes. it, if you wanted to put that on, I'm going to make it the, the art page. You know, with the podcast or whatever in regards to the podcast, that's fine. Uh, well, I was going to do it anyway, whether you gave me permission or not. Huh? I was going to do it whether you gave me permission or not. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> the picture I sent you is a property. It's the where you came and hunted with me, it's it's neighborhood of 450 acres. There's a lot more oak trees on that property versus the property Rachel hunts, which is 100, 100 acres, 120 acres. The larger deer there, his name is Willie. We haven't named that smaller deer there, but the larger deer is a four-and-a-half-year-old deer that, in a sense, spent most or all of his life on the property that I hunt on the 450-acre property. The other, the smaller deer is a five-and-a-half-year-old deer minimum. He could be older, but he is minimum five-and-a-half years old, and that is the size deer. That That's on my wife's property that she primarily hunts. The... Uh, the other picture, I sent you three pictures. Mm-hmm. The first one is the four and a half and the five and a half year old. The second two with the feeder in there, yeah. that is a that is Willie, the four and a half year old, and another that is a three and a half year old from my wife's property. Now that deer could have that dwarfism genetic that we're talking about i don't know it is a small three-year-old so but that's that's the dramatic difference in body from property to property and 
all they have to do is run about 500 yards to make it from one property to that spot where those pictures were taken. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind. Of, I'm I'm actually going to use one of these pictures for the, like the the artwork on the podcast because okay. they're really like the best way I can describe it. And you're going to have to listen to the whole entire podcast to get to this. So I hope you're you are, but it's weird because like in the first picture, you can obviously tell that the smaller deer is an old deer. I mean, he's fat. He's got. I mean, he's got every characteristic. But he's standing next to a deer that looks like a different species. Not just because yeah. he's got bigger horns. I mean, everything about him. His legs are longer. His head's bigger. His neck's longer. His shoulders are bigger. I mean, he's... What? 50, 60 pounds heavier? At least? At a minimum, I, I would think. I mean, it, it's it's really... It is kind of a... You, but the the when I talk about this to people, they cannot grasp it until I show them that picture. That I mean, that's a picture of two live deer, right there. That's that's not photoshopped. That's not cropped. I've I've never it, I've never seen a comparison of two. It looks like no, seriously. It looks like somebody went into a fence, like a, and I don't mean a high fence hunting. I mean like a research center where they had specifically different deer that they were studying. Are you trying to say I got a hole in my high fence? No, I don't think you got a hole. I think you're keeping them all in there. But that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but you know what I'm saying? It's like you went into a research center where they had different strains of white-tailed deer living yeah. together so they could study them, and you took a picture of two of them standing side by side. It it I mean you you can't look in the wild. And you sure. yeah you can't look at this. It's hard to look at this and make your brain imagine that that's. That's on a 450-acre piece of, that's just wild deer, and they look like, I mean, it's like, it, or I'll give you another example. You know how sometimes when you when you go to to the zoo, they have these larger exhibits where they'll have four or five different species of deer in one exhibit, you know, and they'll have a little yeah. antelope and little deer and the elk over here, and they're all in the same exhibit? That's what it looks like. Yeah. Like, and just to clarify... That's a 450-acre lease. That, it's actually a 550-acre lease, and 100 of it that Rachel hunts is divided, is cut off by a highway. Yeah, that's 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 crazy. So, well, it's, it's, I don't know, I think it's been an interesting conversation in that, like, the, 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 I guess it kind of went in a different direction you know, when we start talking about the fawns and stuff, but that just kind of highlights how difficult this time of the year can be because our deer are so different in this state. And I want to be able to be, you know, strive to be as resourceful as we can as a brand with doing the podcast and stuff like that. But, I mean, there literally is sometimes where I can't even, like, you send me a picture like this and I, I I don't even know what to make of it, much less how to give you any advice of how to hunt these deer because you know i mean i guess exactly well just put another bag of corn out huh yeah that's it more corn and well didn't you tell me one time they they like to hang close to the fence right yeah so just hunt by the fence they'll hug the fence fence. all right guys well i guess that's enough for tonight y'all got big plans for the weekend 
Yeah, kill something. I got a guy coming hunting with me this weekend. We're going to kill bucks Saturday afternoon, I think. I, I, Pepper's wife might kill something. I doubt he does. Oh, huh? hey, she's on a hammer right now, hammer eight point. She does all the killing at your house. Oh, I do want to say something, uh, and I'm going to call her out right here, right now on the podcast, just so she don't crawfish on me. But she told me the other night, about two nights ago, that she was going to kill one or two more deer, and she would she would let me contact you about getting on the podcast. Well, tell her that she might as well have signed it in blood because she ain't getting out of it now. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I think I think she could she could give a lot of good information. She's, she's better than I am. That's, she's that's figuring out those deer. So. She's definitely killed killed a lot of good deer. Had a lot of success. Um, one thing I wanted to mention uh, for you guys listening that are in the Baton Rouge area, specifically the Zachary area, um, there is a new store, a new hunting outfitter store opening up and it's over if you're familiar with um if you're familiar with the zachary area right over i guess if you were facing the walmart on the it would be the left side of walmart there's a strip strip area like a little strip mall area um there's a new store opening up there and i just met with them and we're going to have a whole rack of of uh Louisiana Bowhunter gear going in there, and I just kind of want to give them a shout-out. Um, Southern Outfitters, and you can uh, go check them out tomorrow night. They're grand opening from 5 to 8, and then they'll be opening up um, full go beyond that. But they got a lot of good stuff in that store, and you can pick up Louisiana Bowhunter merchandising gear in there as well starting tomorrow. So if you're in this area, you've been looking for a place, you don't want to go into Baton Rouge and fight the traffic, they got lots of stuff um stands accessories camo everything else so go give them uh go give them a look if you're in that area and as far as louisiana bow hunter merch goes uh we're still getting some new gear in here pretty soon we'll be getting that out um and uh, just encourage you to check out your local retailer see if there's anything on the shop uh in those shops on the shelves that you can pick up let us know if you've uh run across a place that needs our gear we'll be glad to reach out to them and see if we can't get it in there and uh if not if you're an online shopper we're doing a gear giveaway again this month um every order placed at louisianabowhunter.com will be entered into a drawing for a buzzard roost saddle and um we'll be giving that away on december the first uh random drawing from all of the orders placed on our website in the month of november and uh so check that out be on the lookout for new gear also for Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals on our online, on our online shopping, um, support the brand. Check out some of the stuff we got. We greatly appreciate it, and we appreciate you listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.